Welcome to the official podcast of Comics Beer and Sci-Fi. Brought to you by Evil Ideas, Greco Printing and Imaging, Comics Wellspring, Grand River Ballroom, and Shorty Bell's Pizza. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And follow Comics Beer and Sci-Fi on all your favorite social media apps. Now, on with the show! Hey, this is Mark with Comics, Beer, and Sci-Fi. Joining us is Paul King. He's the owner of Fett's Toy Depot out of Saginaw, Michigan, and he's the organizer of the Midland Mall Comic Con. Tell us, Paul, uh, what can the attendees or and the unexpected attendees who just got done shopping at Foot Locker, buying some shoes, and eating a nice juicy cinnamon roll at Cinnabon expect out of your show? Well, this year it's going to be amazing. It's going to be bigger than ever. This year, we are celebrating the 40th anniversaries of Ghostbusters. So I dedicated this Comic-Con to anything, everything Ghostbusters. So we are going to have about seven vehicles out there, different Ecto vehicles. We are going to have about 12 different groups coming from many different states, including a group from Canada. We're going to have um, D&D matches there all day, both days. We're going to have cosplay contests both days. We're going to have a... uh, video game tournament both days. We're going to have characters from Monsters, Inc. there. We're going to have a prop from Audrey 2, plus all the Star Wars groups are going to be there. The superhero groups, I'll have a Star Trek group there, Uh, wrestlers from IWE there, and it's going to be everything Ghostbusters. We have actually a Ghostbuster training academy, which I'm really, really excited for. My friends from Creations by Generations made this experience for kids and adults, because I heard a lot of adults want to go, where they can pay $10, they go in there, they'll get a badge that's got their picture, they'll take their picture and tape it on there, so they'll get an identification badge that says they're an official Ghostbuster, they'll zap some ghosts with some Nerf guns, they'll make their own slime, they'll, um, what's the other one? They're going to be doing uh, painting some 3D printed Slimers and Stay Puffs and a couple other things, and they'll end up with a certificate that qualifies them as a real Ghostbuster at the end of the experience. I'm just really excited because I love Ghostbusters and it's an iconic movie. Um, and there's a lot of my friends that are in these Ghostbuster groups. So when I said, Hey, you know, I would like to honor the Ghostbusters. I found out that the Ghostbuster groups all in Michigan and the surrounding States can't cross lines unless they're personally invited. So I did an all call out there with my friends and invited all these people. And we have, like I said, 12 groups coming, including a group from Canada and seven Ecto vehicles going to be out there. Well, let's hope they all get along because they could get messy if they don't. (laughs) Well, they're out of there then. No, this should be great, you know. This comes at the same time with the new movie coming out. How how did you work that out with it being tied in so closely? Well, pure dumb luck. It was the 40th anniversary, and we were going to do it this time for this year. That was what we're going to honor. And then there was the delay in the show, and they pushed it back. So it's going to be three weeks after our show. So we're going to hype that up. From what I understand from one of my Ghostbuster teams is they reached out to the movie studios and we're going to have some special edition posters from the movie there to give out to fans, which I think is awesome. I just wish it was on the weekend of the Comic-Con. We go see the movie afterwards. But it's a great way to honor and prepare for the Ghostbuster movie that we all love. And the the thing that's amazing is I I didn't really 
talked about too much, but all my vendors are making something special edition Ghostbuster, whether it be a 3D print, whether it be a tumbler, whether it's popcorn, whether it's cotton candy. My friend today, just as I was on my way home, made slime pens. So the pens got some kind of open container in the back with um, glycerin or something and green slime in there. So you tilt it upside down and green slime goes up and down. There are just so many cool things that these vendors are coming up with for the show. The crochet people are making slimers and stay puff. It's everybody's making something Ghostbuster themed, which is awesome. And that's what every year I do a show, I tell them what the theme is and they just make something towards it. One of the things in the trailer for the new movie I'm really enjoying to see is the return of William Atherton playing Walter Peck. I know. It's so funny. Um, My popcorn guys made a Walter Peck popcorn with this picture <laughs> on it. And it's I think it's dill pickle flavor or something. Yeah, that's awesome. He's still an asshole in it, though. <laughs> well, that's not on you. He was that yeah, go-to guy back in the 80s uh, who was the jerk, like in Die Hard and Real Genius. <laughs> yep, he was. Yeah. He was. That but was no, awesome. I do think it's awesome. And of course, he's controlling the Ghostbusters and saying, oh, this, that, whatever. He's in the, the position of authority. How did you get started um, doing um, doing these cons? Well, way back when I was in the military and I was stationed in San Diego. And I went to the San Diego Comic-Con and I fell in love. I said, I love this stuff. I said, when I get out of the military, I want to open up my own collectible toy shop. I want it to be different than any other place. My toy shop is an experience. I don't care if you buy. Just come out and have fun. We have Nerf battles in there. We have lightsaber battles. We have kids that draw on the sidewalk with chalk. And I met people and I said, I want to I do a Comic-Con. I want to be involved in this. And I just met some great people and I started getting out there and because of my toy business, more people asked me to help here and there, and opportunities presented itself, and here we are now. So who came up with the idea of doing it at the Midland Mall? I was actually invited there to help do a show in uh, 2020, just before uh, Comic-Con, or excuse me, just before uh, COVID shut the world down, and it stuck. I thought the mall is a great location. I like the layout better than a standard Comic-Con, instead of having one row this way, one row this way, everybody fighting to go through, and then you're a square block going back and forth, back and forth. You actually have the whole layout of the mall to go through, and it's a lot easier and more user-friendly for everybody. And unfortunately, though, if you get to a certain size where you need operating funds, you can't charge anyone to get into a mall, but it's a fun yeah, place. Yeah, unfortunately, we've calculated out, and we lose out about $400,000 on income. And we kindly ask for donations, but I don't do this for money. I don't do it to make money. I know we have to have X amount of dollars to pay the bills, but we do it to bring people together to have fun. Seeing the kids' smiling faces and the adults makes it all worthwhile. So what are some of the challenges you've you've come across doing these events? Cost, of course. Um, trying to be fresh and do something new. Uh, this year, we're adding on several different things. We're having new banners put up so we can do some cool backdrop photo shoots. Uh, ordered a second photographer because I know this is going to be huge. Um, spacing. Unfortunately, the mall has changed their spacing due to fire code. And we had to reduce the spaces from 10 by 10 to 8 by 10. So a lot of people are not happy about that because they can't bring their easy ups or their pop ups. 
but we got to do what we can do to still have it at this location. I like it there. It's confined. It's contained. And also, when we do it at the mall, it helps the community, helps the, the mall goers, helps the vendors there. And a lot of them are very appreciative of it. Um, a lot of the vendors will donate something or donate food for us. And that really helps out, you know, when they take a part because they know how the show is awesome. They know how many people come through there and their business, you know, thrives because of it. They want to be a part of it. Um, we are unfortunately probably in a year, two or three going to have to move somewhere else because we're just getting so much bigger every year. What kind of vendors uh, do, you, do we expect to see uh, at your show? We're going to have vendors doing everything, customized Pokemon earrings, pins, buttons, 3D prints, tumblers, LED signs, anything you could possibly imagine. We're going to have custom lemonade there, Ghostbuster lemonade, Ecto Slime Cooler. We're going to have uh, green slime or popcorn. We're going to have all sorts of wood-burned um, creations. We're going to have um, slime tumblers. I have a lady that made tumblers that are full of green glow-in-the-dark slime. We're going to have a cotton candy lady that has her... Um, cotton candy wands light up and she's making a slimer and a stay puff to put on there. We're going to have people that are going to make sculptures. We're going to have people that make artwork. We're going to have, I think 12 comic book vendors, all sorts of toy vendors, people that make all sorts of really, really cool stuff. We have D and D matches both days. We have uh, cosplay both days, the tournament both days for video games. What was amazing last year was we were supposed to have that storm. So several people canceled and I thought, Friday, uh, Saturday would be not as good. It was packed. They estimate about 8,000 people showed up. And then on Sunday, we didn't think it'd be that busy. It was just as busy as Saturday. Everybody was amazed. Everybody was amazed. Is when I first did this in 2020, I was asked to put that show on there. So I went there and I had 40 days to put it together. And it was a success, but it was so small. But the reason it was a success is because my friends in the business, I was able to contact people and put it together quickly. But like I said, it was small. And then after um, COVID shut everything down, I tried to do it in 21. Still couldn't do it. We weren't clear. And then 22, it was the Midland Mall Comic-Con strikes back because we're striking back from COVID. And we actually, it just blew up. And we had a couple people that wanted to be sponsors. And then last year, more people wanted to be sponsors. More people came out, and it was just nuts. And then this year, for 24, we filled up in October. So, and people, like, want to sign up for next year already. It's it's awesome. And it's a different kind of show. It's geared towards families. Um, there's a lot of kids' things to do, a lot of hands-on things to do to bring the families together. This year, I'm really proud because we're doing a lot of extra things. We brought some professional cosplayers on board, which are some friends of mine. Um, we've got some cool banners. We've got backdrops. I hired a second photographer because it's going to be so huge. I have one photographer that's going to sit right there and do just the cosplay pictures only. So my buddy, Doug King, my brother from another mother, he's going to be over by the Playland in the food court. He has ungodly amounts of comics. There's going to be a lot of cool vendors there with a lot of comics. Like, Is, um, he, a regular, is he a regular vendor or just someone who's just put, selling a bunch of his stuff? No, he's a regular vendor. Okay, all right. Sometimes, you know, I, I sometimes I get excited when I see guys that normally don't 
sell and because they just had to like clear out some space and they end up bringing a bunch of stuff and it's like gold you know it's like oh my I god know. but I, i've also had garage. people look like they're cleaning out their garage too yeah so it's like okay wait a second you get some but of the yeah, best this, deals from these guys because they don't know what the things are going for these days and they'll sell them for next this to guy this guy knows so basically from what i heard he when he was a kid worked at a comic book store and he was in charge of ordering. So whenever he ordered for the store, he ordered himself a case of everything. Because <laughs> he got a good deal so on I, it, of course. I, yes. So he had me come to his house. And his basement is floor to ceiling racks of comics. Uh, and and other that. yeah, and other toys like that. Yeah. It made <laughs> me sick to see all the toys. He had like all these Star Wars toys. He had all these mail-aways. He like would order a case of each figure just for himself. And he showed me some Star Wars, uh, or he's got a Boba Fett, original Boba Fett that's worth a lot. But he would show me a case, a, a, a case of uh, comics in the box, all lined up of the same comic. And some of those comics were like pretty expensive now. They're worth a lot now. Well, Made me sick. First issues and things like that. Now tell, tell us a little bit about your store. Um, well, how did you open your store? Well, I retired from the military in 2012, and I wanted to open up a shop. Locally, two stores closed, and I thought my dreams were crushed. A cosplay friend of mine taught me how to do an online store, and I started from my basement. And then I exploded from there, and then I opened up a storage unit and made appointments. Now, it sounds kind of sketchy, but I literally had racks all the way around my my storage unit i had a 10 by 20 had all the toys in there had them all displayed had some cool artwork had a cool sign and everything and i could control my appointments because i had a you know a full-time job at the time so i just made appointments and then i was lucky enough to get my local spot during covid actually um i lost both my school jobs uh dur during covid and a friend of mine said hey i'm not using this area why don't we make a deal and i was able to get my storefront in Saginaw, and it's been great ever since. It's messy, but it's a lot of fun, and it's an experience. Like I said, my ceiling tiles are painted by local artists. I feature artwork from a lot of my friends. I have about 15 different vendors in there, and we just have fun. Kids come out, like I said, and they draw outside. They draw on the sidewalk with the chalk I have out there. Anybody that buys a lightsaber from me, whether you're a kid or an adult, we instantly go outside after the purchase is made, and I teach them how to use our lightsaber, and we have a battle. Anybody that comes back to visit me that bought a lightsaber or didn't buy a lightsaber will challenge them with the lightsaber duel. I have lightsabers positioned all over my shop, so when the kids come attack me, I'm ready. Same thing with Nerf guns. Kids come attack me at the shop all the time with Nerf guns. I have Nerf guns strategically placed all over the store to you know defend myself. I have a little rug on the ground. It's like a, a playscape that the kids can drive and stuff around. It's all about having fun. I want my store to be an experience. I don't care if you buy Come out and just have fun. Talk nerdy. Get your nerd on it, Fets. That's how we do it. I don't think a zap zone for uh, geeks. It is. It's a lot of fun. I just I I love going there. I love when kids and adults come out and we just talk and have fun. So, where do you expect uh, your store and and your convention to be in, say, five ten years? Well, I know we're going to have to move to another location for the Comic Con. Hopefully, still in the area. Um, have been approached by some other people to do some other shows. So I know we're going to grow. Everybody wants me to move or get a bigger store. 
Um, that's still going to be up in the air because the store location is right between my school job and my house. It's a perfect location. And then right across the street from me is a beautiful park, Rutke Park. And actually, uh, some of my friends do laser tag over there. So we do laser combat and do some fun stuff over there. So I love the location, but it's smaller. I, I got to expand. Now, are you, are you having any media guests show up to your show this year? We do have a couple um, uh, celebrity uh, cosplayers coming out that are local in the area and stuff of that nature. Unfortunately, with us not making the revenue we would like, I can't afford to have the you know, the main stars come out because they're six dollars to $10,000 to bring them out. But you never know what can be in the future. Like I said, we got a lot of cool people that are going to be there, and we're building our way up there. Eventually, we might move to another location where we can charge admission and they actually bring some of those people out. That couldn't be at a mall because there's no way you can like control the, you know, the ins and outs of uh, all the attendees. No, there's unfortunately there's like eight entrances and stuff like that, and it cracks me up every year. No matter how much advertising I do, how many flyers, how many radio stations, how many newspaper or interviews there are, people walk through Target. What in the world's going on here? They walk out of Barnes Noble. What? What's going, what's going on here? Oh my gosh, there's Batman, there's Superman. It's 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 funny, and they they never know. You know, a lot of people just don't know, and they come out to shop and have a blast and stay the day. You know, this is your second show you're having. Am I correct on that? This is our fourth year doing it here. Fourth year, okay, fourth year. Fourth year, okay. All right. When it, when I heard about it, you were returning. I was assuming it was the second one, but okay. Yeah. So the fourth year, so. So you so when as the con is going on, you're you like you said, you get you're getting all these people showing up that had no idea what was going exactly. on. They were like like I said, shopping at Foot Locker, and next thing you know, they're walking out seeing this stuff. And what's the response? I mean, what is going to the response that these people have? Again, like well, it what, cracks me up. All the vendors are like, you know, there's like this guy just walked up to me, asked me what is going on, or why are you here? What's going on? It's amazing. It's they look so surprised and shocked. They're like. What in the world's going on? Unfortunately, there are some people that are not into this kind of stuff, and I understand that. And they maybe like scurry out and head out the door, but a lot of them will stay and walk around and just amazed. And a lot of people, they, you know, come up to me and say, Why is this going on? What's going on? And I explain to them what's going on. Like, wow, thank you so much. I didn't even know this was going on. This is a lot of fun. That's really cool. And again, uh, this is at the Midland Mall, correct? Where is correct. that located? That's located at 6800 Eastman. Uh, in Midland. Do you have any cool props that you want to show? Well, yes, I do. First of all, it's a small flyer. It's for the training academy run by Creations by Generations. Like I said, you become a Ghostbuster when you're done. My awesome buddy, Zach, from Starseeker uh, Designs, made the cool flyer. I know it's backwards and stuff like that, but yeah. it's really, really cool. He made another one for our sponsors, so I'd like to say thank you to the sponsors. They helped put on the show. Without the sponsors, we wouldn't be able to have the show. Looks pretty cool. My buddy Zach made this cool logo right there for us. And then one thing I'm really, really uniquely excited about is I wanted to do this for the other show, but it fit this one. We made a trifold, limited edition collectors is in edition trifold right there. So there's the front, tells all the information. Oh. On the back, has all the sponsors again. Okay. But what's really cool is when you open it up, you got the schedule there for Saturday. All right. Open it all the way up. You got the set schedule for Sunday and the map of the mall. I feel like I feel like I'm reading a menu from a restaurant. Cool. I know. It's gonna be awesome. Then I'm really, really proud. One of my vendors, and one thing I really like, I take pride in this. 
my vendors are my friends. They're not dollar signs. They're not, you know, you know, numbers to me. You know, I get to know my vendors really well. I care about my vendors. So this was made by Todd Gilbert, a very good friend of mine. It's in the sleeve, so it's probably a little blurry. But he made this limited edition, only going to be sold at this show. There's Ghostbuster there. But if you look in there, that actually that guy right there, that's me. Even though my oh, beard's a little what Beautiful, yeah. It's just like you. He made that for my other buddy. And he made that for himself right there. He made this print and he gave me the rights to it and letting me sell it for whatever I sell it for. And the money that's made goes to pay for Comic-Con or goes to help, you know, pay for next year's Comic-Con. That's great. That's great. And that's, that's what is love. And then we have special badges for the kid, the kids and adults. You know, we got con staff ones. They're like Ghostbuster characters, you know, attendees can get stay puff, you know, Another Ghostbuster character there. And we just have a whole bunch. We have cosplayer ones. We just, my my team went all out. And, you know, I can't say enough about my team. The Fets team and the Midland Mall Comic Con, if it wasn't for them, I couldn't do any of this stuff. With me, the shop, whether it be the show, we all pitch in to make it work. That's a cool vendor one right there. I like that one, Slimer. And then we got a couple more Ghostbusters. And then the terror dog, I love that, right there. But I'm very grateful. If I didn't have my team, and I get a little emotional, I love my team. Without them, none of this would happen. Yeah, it's great to have. By the way, uh, where can people find out more information about your show and your store? Okay, if they go to Fetch Toy Depot on Facebook, or they go to the Midland Mall Comic Con on Facebook, we have all our information there. We are currently working on a website for the Midland Mall Comic Con, which will be a lot easier for next year to get information, to submit an application, to become a sponsor. All that stuff is going to be on the website as soon as it uh, migrates over. But I'm really, really excited because so many cool things are going to be happening this year. That's great. That's great. Well, Paul, it was a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, we hopefully uh, you're, we'll be there at your show, and hopefully it's a big success. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time. Hey everyone, it's Nick at Great Lakes Comic Con 2024. I'm here with Rick Goldschmidt, who is the historian and biographer of the Rankin Bass Animation Company that we all know, most of us know from the classic Christmas specials, but they have a lot more on their resume than that. So Rick, let me first start with your connection to Rankin Bass. How did you become involved and how did you get to this point? Well, I um, right out of college, uh, my degree was in art illustration and I became good friends with Jack Davis yep. and Paul Coker Jr. right out of Mad Magazine. And uh, I knew Jack had designed Mad Monster Party for Rankin Bass, which was always one of my favorite projects. And I said, whatever happened to Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass? You never hear anything about him. Never re I never read anything about him. And he said, oh, I'm still doing work for Arthur. You should uh, give... Paul Coker a call get and I did and Paul gave me Arthur's phone number in Bermuda and I called him up and I said you know there really should be a book and he said send me two chapters so I went and made up two chapters and I sent it to him and he liked it and a package came with a little micro cassette with his life story on his business you know how he got into doing Rankin Bass so 
I worked on my first book, The Enchanted World of Rankin Bass, for about seven years. And when it finally came out in 97, he came over to my home to make sure I was all legit. And he liked what he saw. And uh, I just became sort of the, the holder of all the Rankin Bass archives. So all the photographs, all the artwork, everything. I have in my possession and and I worked with all of the great people and we're talking about Don Duga, Maury Laws, Jules Bass, you know, all the people that worked on the specials and they all were great people and, and opened up their archives to me. So that's where I got into it. Okay, um, well, as I, I mentioned, some of the Christmas specials. Now, Rankin Bass, a lot of people know them for the stop motion. Is that stop motion actually the correct term for what yeah, they did? it was Animagic. It was all done in Japan, one frame at a time with small dolls. They kind of were about this size for Rudolph, and uh, they would just manipulate their joints and make them move on screen, which is kind of tedious. I could never be a stop-motion animator, but um, the Japanese were experts, and Arthur loved the culture there, so he oversaw it. Jules never went to Japan. It was just Arthur who went to Japan. He loved the culture. He loved the people, and that's how they got their Animagic done. Interesting. So give us a quick story of their studio how did what, what did they start with and how did they progress and, and how did they be, find that niche of holiday movies because they also did the easter bunnies coming to town and right. rudolph's new year etc right well everything came out of new york first of all arthur had residents that he turned half of it into business addresses in the early days so all of the people, like I mentioned, Jack Davis, Paul Coker, they were all living in New York at the time. So they would get the artists and Maury Laws to do the music, and everything was done in the States. Then they went to Canada initially for the voice work. Paul Souls, Billy Mae Richards, all the people that we know. All the, Larry Mann, who was a Canadian who came to the States, and was in all the television shows of uh, our past. He became an actor in the U.S. So Canada was big for the voice acting segment, and then they worked with the musicians in England. Maury Laws went to England to live and did all his orchestrations there. Initially, they were known as Videocraft International, and that was because they were an international company. They got into the Christmas stuff because of Rudolph, solely because of Rudolph. They thought Return to Oz, which was the first special they did for the General Electric Fantasy Hour, would be a much bigger deal than Rudolph. But Rudolph turned out to be the big hit, and then everybody wanted a Christmas special from them. And eventually they did The Little Drummer Boy and Frosty and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey. Right, right. And the animation actually got a little bit more, uh, better as it went along, but I liked the earlier designs by Tony Peters best. Uh, Rudolph, Willie McBean and his magic machine. Um, some of the early stuff is really what drew me into Rankin Bass. Sure. Um, you, you know, 
Rudolph and Frosty, for example, were based on existing songs. Right. And so the story came from the... So how did they pick those particular songs? Well, um, Johnny Marks was a, a neighbor of Arthur Rankin's, so that's why Rudolph was the first. But Romeo Muller, who was the writer, created all of the other characters. So with the storybook that was in at Montgomery Awards by Robert L. May, that just focused on Rudolph and Santa. Romeo brought in the Island of Misfit Toys, Hermie the Dentist, all of the Yukon Cornelius. So Romeo Muller played a huge role in taking the song, like from Frosty, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and developing it with a whole bunch of other characters that especially the Heat Miser and Snow Miser are so popular. Um, he really was responsible for creating most of it. The, the music that he did is an embarrassment of riches. The, put one foot in front of the other. Almost every song in Santa Claus is Coming to Town is a classic in its own right. Not that the rest of the specials didn't have great music, but I mean, it's, it's and I watch these every year to this day. I have the DVD box sets, and I'm just blown away by how good the music is. Well, Maury Laws was a very close friend of mine. I'm a musician also. I've recorded music with the Jim Blossoms, and I know about recording techniques and mastering and all of that. And Maury lived in Appleton, Wisconsin, and his son lived in downtown Chicago. So whenever he visited his son, I would meet up with him and have dinner. And he really respected that I was a musician and that I knew how important the music was and how it was a, a bigger piece of the puzzle than most people give it credit for. And then Jules Bass wrote the lyrics, which were always great, and they fit into the, the they didn't just stop and do a song. It had to fit the storyline, like put one foot in front of the other and all the others. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of those were kind of slightly traumatic. I must say that the most traumatic part of every Christmas is when Santa comes into the greenhouse and Karen is crying over Frosty's, the puddle that was Frosty. Did it ever occur to them when they wrote that, that Karen had to witness the melting of Frosty? Well, it, it was significant, but obviously he came back to life with Santa's help. And also uh, Baba and the little drummer boy getting hit. By the, uh, yeah, Nestor. Well, that came from Bambi. It was sort of a, a Bambi uh, tribute. Um, usually Romeo wrote completely free of any kind of other writing, but that was more of a Bambi writing. <laughs> and uh, another Christmas-themed uh, special. So let's switch gears a little bit over to Tolkien. So how, how did they become involved with The Hobbit? And then, then they did Return of the King, but Ralph Bakshi did Lord of the Rings. So are they connected, and how did they get started in that? Well, um, they got the rights to the book um, initially, and uh, whoever owned the rights, I was talking to somebody earlier today. I think Tolkien had already passed away, but his estate was working with Arthur and Jules. And at some point in the development of The Hobbit, they said, we don't want you to do this. But it came to, you know, we already bought the rights. We can do it. We're going to do it. And they won a Peabody and a, a, William, or a Christopher Award, 
which is a very prestigious thing in animation to win those awards. So that led not only to Return of the King, but it led to them doing a lot of fantasy art with um, The Last Unicorn, Flight of Dragons. They did a Wind in the Willows, which was very kind of fantasy-like. So it was a totally different uh, style and direction for Rankin-Bass, but they they like to try a lot of different things. You know, um, eventually they got into making feature films for uh, like the ABC Friday Night Movie, uh, The Bermuda Depths and The Last Dinosaur, and they made a movie called Marco with Desi Arnaz Jr., which was a live action movie. Unfortunately, they never got a really big budget to make the kind of movies Arthur did want to make. But um, they were very experimental at the time they did The Hobbit. And uh, it really uh, it brought in a whole new fan base, too. I, I appeared at Dragon Con in Atlanta, and I did five panels there. And one of them was strictly about the fantasy uh, films. And every panel I did was crowded. It was full. So there's all different kinds of fan bases for the Rankin Bass. How, how was it they didn't do uh, Two Towers and Fellowship of the Ring and that went to Bakshi? Yeah, um, I think some of it became public domain. Some of it couldn't even be aired in Canada either, is what Arthur was telling me. And um, he was very dissatisfied with Return of the King because it combined uh, more than one book, I think. And uh, he thought it was too much. So their, their Return of the King wasn't necessarily meant to be a direct sequel to Bakshi's. Right. right. And their Return of the King, I learned later from seeing it on YouTube, it first aired as part of the ABC Friday night movie or the Wednesday night movie or something. Aired, yeah. yeah. It wasn't like a, a TV special. The Hobbit was for the Xerox company. So The Hobbit was huge. Everybody wanted to see it because they read the book. Every, all the kids I went to school with were reading the book. So it was like huge to see what they actually look like. And there was a great uh, coffee table book right. that came out at the time. I always wanted it. Um, okay, so lastly, so what's the legacy of Rankin Bass? Are they still as popular as ever? Are, are, are young people discovering still Rudolph and all these shows? I'm finding that uh, Rankin Bass is an inflation-proof uh, business because everybody wants to go back to when times were good for them, their childhood, and just not think about all the, the horrible things that are going on in the world. And there's generation after generation, they show it to their kids and their kids show it to their kids. And Rudolph is 60 this year, and the year without a Santa Claus and Twas the Night Before Christmas, which is another great special, are 50 this year. And that's going to be my seventh book on the year without a Santa Claus and Twas the Night Before Christmas. I love those specials. And in, in Night Before Christmas was traditional animation, like right. like Frosty. What what made them go back and forth sometimes from stop motion to traditional animation? Well, if they were um, in production with, say, Santa Claus is coming to town, and it takes like a year to do Animagic, yeah. or 18 months in some cases, 
all they could do if they sold the special to another network, say NBC or CBS, they can only offer it to them and, and sell animation. So they would hire Mushi or Toei in Japan while the animators were working on, say, Nestor or something like that. Yeah, so they couldn't always do Right. But, but they did want it to look like the Paul Coker artwork, and the only way they could do that is in cell animation. It doesn't really look like his artwork in Animagic. So. What's next for you? Um, my book and uh, a couple more appearances this year. With the 60th of Rudolph, I'll probably, probably be on CBS's na national news and... It gets a lot of attention when it's a big uh, anniversary like that. So it's always fun to celebrate, you know, what brought, you know, what really makes the holiday great for me is the traditional um, Rudolph and Santa Claus is coming to town and Frosty. They did all the classic Christmas characters. I mean, Charlie Brown is great. Um, Mr. Magoo, uh, Christmas Carol's great. Uh, the Grinch is great, but they don't have Santa and Frosty and Reindeer and all the things that we love about Christmas in them, and Rankin Bass does. So where can we get your books? Well, um, at Miser Bros, like the Heat Miser and Snow Miser, miserbros.com, that's M-I-S-E-R-B-R-O-S, or I have an Etsy shop, I have... Uh, books in the Amazon marketplace and I'm on eBay under Miser Bros too. Okay. So I always personalize and draw in the books as well. Thanks again. Thank That's it for this episode of the Comics Beer and Sci-Fi Podcast. Thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us next time.